I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the weather's clear, can do, can do. This is Bill Duncliffe welcoming you back to Can Do, the podcast about all things horse racing, some history, some handicapping, and some humor. You're going to recall that last week our guest Hunsley Albina gave his thumbs-up opinions on Ross Duncliffe. Mostly thumbs-up, it was, anyway. Ross, in addition to the critical role of being my nephew, is actually the producer of our podcast and founder of On Tour Records, which he has grown and nurtured from his core of supporting stand-up comedians to a wide-ranging business that includes podcasting. In fact, it was a conversation I had with Ross last May that led to this podcast's beginning. So now you know at least who to blame. But Ross also has another story to tell us about. He's a proud son of Central Kentucky, and in the past he's toiled at one of the jobs in our industry that is often overlooked and underappreciated. That is the critical job of being a mutuals clerk. Of course, with much of the wagering public these days now betting online or on self-service machines, going to a staffed mutual window may be the equivalent of going to the emergency room at the local hospital. In other words, you're going to have a long wait. Anyway, Ross is going to tell us about some of his experiences in that job. We might call this segment Tales from the Ticket Windows. Uh, Tales from the Dark Side were already taken, but uh, I think Ross does have some Dark Side tales for us. Right, Ross? I do. All right. Well, listen, thanks for joining us on the phone today. Before we get into the dark side, tell us about when you first got started as a mutuals clerk. You started at Keeneland, I believe, and you got a significant amount of training in that job, correct? Uh, that's right. Actually, the first job was not at Keeneland, actually. The first job was at the Red Mile, where uh-huh. you know my dad, your brother, worked yeah. all through law school. Oh, that's who he is. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the Red Mile, if you don't know, is a uh, standard bread track. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I in, know. Uh, you know <laughs> in uh, a lot closer to downtown Lexington. Um, but that's actually where I got my first training there. And then... Uh, that naturally, a lot of people that work at the Red Mile, they also work at Keeneland, which uh, paid a lot better. But yes, they do a pretty good job of training you. It doesn't matter. It, it didn't seem to matter where I worked, and I worked at four different tracks, and they all seemed to to go to great lengths to make sure that you knew what you were talking about, that you knew, at least on the surface level, you know, you, you know what an exact is. You don't necessarily have to understand. You know, the difference between an exacta and a quinella, something like that. But they do give you a crash course. And to just make just, sure that you just know which button to push anyway, I guess, right? When, when they ask for a bet, right? Right. And it's, it's just one of those jobs that you just, even though there's a lot of risk, you have to just learn it on the job. And it doesn't take long until you start figuring out, oh, uh, you know, so Calder, that's down in Florida or, you know. Okay. Those sure. little things like that, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you work at an OTB, which I did for a little while. Let me ask you something, Ross. At the OTBs, does everybody know the names of the track that they're betting, actually? Or uh, did you get some requests no. for uh, Santa Margarita and places like that? <laughs> uh, I get a lot of that. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't know if they don't know or they just don't care. I, 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 could never, I could never figure out because it's not like I'm trying to set the guy straight, but, you know, it's, it's – uh, Scorpio Downs, and, and he's yelling it at me because usually the race is going to go off in 20 seconds. And I'm like, Scorpio Downs, what are you talking about? Skiodo. like, oh, all right. <laughs> That's cool. a different <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know. Scorpio Downs, that and, bites. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, like, oh, Toyota, yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. 
And, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of one guy in particular, this OTB that I used to work at in Virginia. He did it all the time, and he he didn't seem to care. But it wasn't just him. It was a lot of them. They got it. They all got got him just a little wrong, unless it was something really simple like the Red Mile. Um, <laughs> it's a hard one to miss. You know, Pompano or Pocono. Those are two different places, actually. <laughs> yeah. Correct. I know, I know, but they're both Pinocchio. Right, right, right. <laughs> So it matters which ticket you which ticket you punch. Yeah, <laughs> Ross, what does a mutual clerk get paid? Because you've got a lot of responsibility behind the winter. That you're managing a ton of cash. Let's face it, throughout the day. So you know, what do you get paid to do that? Because it's a it's a high risk job in its own way, right? I mean, uh, managing that much cash. Absolutely, a teller is responsible for every single dollar that comes in and out of there, and. The, the betting machine is not a cash register. You know, it doesn't tell you what the change is. So the teller has to be able to, to do the math quickly. And even and even though that that sounds simple enough, uh, it's it's easy to make a mistake if you're doing a lot of transactions in the daytime. Sure. You know I mean, the teller has to eat that. I would imagine, too, as you're getting, like, closer to post time and you're looking at a line of nervous wagerers behind the guy that you're talking to, it, 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 it might be a little easier to get distracted or, you know, maybe hurry somebody along and count something out wrong or something like that. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because in some cases people that are, are in line, but they're three people back, um, you know, somebody might just shout their, their oh. bet from all the way back there. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand everybody wants to get their bet in, but the, but one thing that the better has to understand is that they have responsibilities too, is not just all on the teller. You know, one is know what you're betting. That you have to have an understanding of what is coming out of your mouth, and you know how simple math works. You know, if a, you know a uh, a one dollar uh, trifecta box with three horses is six dollars. A one dollar trifecta box with four horses is not eight dollars. That is <laughs> that is twenty four. What? What? <laughs> Just a couple other things. Just have your money ready. Yeah. Don't let that be a surprise. Like, oh, oh, I got to get my wallet out now. You know, you know, now you're tucking your, your program under your elbow and just have it ready. It doesn't have to be exact change, but that extra 20, 30 seconds is going to make a big difference to somebody behind sure. you. Sure. Yep. I mean, it's a high pressure job, but it's a fun job. I mean, it, it really is. Some environments are better than others. I mean, Keeneland is about as nice a place as you would ever hope to work, you know? Mm -hmm. An OTB. So I worked at a Colonial Downs OTB in in Richmond, Virginia, sure. back yeah. uh, back when I was nineteen. You know, and that's more what you would expect. You know, that's more what you see in the movies. Um, if you picture a place that that kind of looks like a back room, like a sports book <laughs> and a kind of a mediocre casino, that's kind of the place where I worked. And and that's actually a good place to show up if you're a new guy, because more than likely there are a lot of professional betters in there. And they've been there a long time. They're there every day in a lot of cases. <laughs> and if they see a new guy, they're like, okay, I'm betting with him. You know, because they, I don't know, they think there's some kind of oh. <laughs> you know, fresh mojo there or something, you know. And that, so guy, I, that guy sold me too many, that other guy sold me too many losing tickets. It's his fault. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And so I remember my, my first day there. Yeah, you know, I probably made like $120 in tips. You know, one guy gave me 80. You know, this guy had a super effective. It was, 
He won thirteen hundred and eighty-one dollars. So I count out the thirteen hundred, and you know, I started going for the twenties. He goes, "Nope, that's yours." And, and so, oh. <laughs> you know, you, you know, another okay. guy gave me, you know, twenty. Another guy gave me twenty after that, and so. Uh, I kind of like working at this place. That, yeah. yeah. That night, I said, you know, this is going to be a good summer. <laughs> and uh, honestly, the first week was about as good as it got because then. You weren't the new guy anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not the new guy anymore. But <laughs> but you asked how much it paid. And in uh, Kentucky, it pays pretty well. Um, you know, at Keeneland, which is a, uh, I think has always been a. Uh, a union track, um, mm. you know, it, it pays pretty well. I, I think that, that that these days it pays like twenty dollars an hour, and maybe twenty five if you're working on Saturdays. Now, Kentucky is a right to work state, so you don't have to join the union anymore. But you know, for now at least, they're still paying everybody pretty well. Uh, Red Mile historically paid less because that was not a union track. Virginia, where I worked, was pretty atrocious, you know, because I, uh, I mean, I mean, I worked there when I was uh, nineteen, mm-hmm. and I had just come from Keeneland, which paid, you know, at the time it paid like sixteen bucks an hour or something like that, and uh, in Virginia, they, at Colonial Downs, they paid six dollars and fifty cents. Oh, and you're still, and you're still responsible for the entire drawer for the box, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is is thousands. You know, I mean, now, now you skim throughout the day. Uh, you skim, know, you skim have, only in the legal sense of the term. By the way, let's be careful there. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the, okay. Excuse me. Yes, thank <laughs> no, you. No, I'm Uncle. just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you know, if you have a you know big sum, if you got like four thousand in your yeah box, then yeah, then give give twenty five hundred to your money manager, and you know that's just one less thing to worry about as the day goes on. Uh, but it's super easy to to make a mistake. I have a friend who I worked at Derby with at Keeneland, and you know, and that's a long day. That's like mm. 11, 10 hours. The two of us were working in different parts of the track, and so I finished up. And, and on a day like that, back in the nineties, they would pay you like twenty three dollars an hour or something like okay. that. Which, yeah, you know, I, th- I think these days they pay you like around forty or something an hour on a on a on a, bi- a big day on a big like, day. Yeah. And I came upstairs, and there he was. He was still counting his money, which was not a good sign because most people should be done by by then. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was like two hundred eighty dollars that he he just couldn't find it. And, uh, oh, and I think that the way they they did it back then was, you still get your paycheck, but you have to get even with the company before you work again. And I think he just decided that would be his last day. Okay. Oh, so, which uh, hurts, but you know it's it it's uh, is not as deflating as as working an entire day and coming home with nothing. So, Ross, I'm going to add one more responsibility to the betters' responsibilities that you were talking about as well, and and this may be more at the machines than at the windows, at the staffed windows, but don't be handicapping the race while you're standing at the window. I see that happening all the time. Someone's trying to bet a superfecta. <laughs> I'll take the one with the hmm, two, three. No, no, not the three. The two, the four. The like. Oh my God! You know. Yes. Ha- have your bet in mind when you come up to the window, but not in mind. But like you, you know, it actually comes back to what you said, right? Have your bet ready when you get up there. Don't be looking at your program, trying to make decisions at that point in time. That's just unfair to everyone else behind you, right? And for the love of God, if you're betting for the whole office because it's Derby Day. Know what the horse number is. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 
Go ahead, because I've seen this. Go ahead. There's no button. <laughs> there's no button that says "Event of the Year." Okay. There's no. There's no lemon drop kid button, uh, <laughs> sir. All right. <laughs> Just for God's sakes, it's a two. It's a three. Number sixteen. Something. So that's not uncommon because I saw that happen once on Kentucky Oaks Day, and it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen under the under the stands at Churchill and someone else. You know, I'll have two dollars to win on. Smiley's mom and a couple of the patrons around him were quite vocal about his ineptness. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what. If if the guy's calling out the bet like that, there might be hope for that guy. Because (laughs) at Keeneland, which again is a great place, and I understand it's totally fine if you're not a professional better. It's totally fine if you just want to bet a couple couple races, you know, $3 to show on a horse. That's totally fine. But... In between each window, there'll be a little sign, a plaque that explains how to bet, mm-hmm. how to call the bet. And again, it's not so much of a, of a big deal when you have 14 minutes to post. But when you have one minute to post, if you, uh, you have a guy comes up like uh, two to show $10. Oh, God. I just punched the wrong uh, thing. Yeah. This is race eight, by the way. <laughs> Oh, it's race eight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belmont. Like, good God, man. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I want to strangle somebody right now just hearing that, actually. <laughs> You'd be amazed how often it happens. You were you were talking about tipping earlier, and I'm reminded that uh, at one of the major racing venues in this country, I'll just put it that way, years ago there was a cabal of uh, mutual clerks who practiced what I guess I would call uh, self-tipping, which was, uh, and I had this experience one time. I was at uh, one of their venues and i had a 110 dollars exacta winner and i went up to the window and the clerk ran it through and uh counts out 20 40 60 80 100 then he stops and he looks at me and i look at him and i say and 10 oh yeah that's right he said (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, I, I think that cabal was pretty much busted up, but that was a that was a creative way of tipping. How, did you find winning betters were generally prone to tipping you, or was that uh, was it like being a waitress at a restaurant where uh, tipping is not as common as you would expect or hope? If it was going to happen, it, it, it typically I'm talking at Keeneland here, which has you know four or five levels. Um, it wouldn't happen very much on the ground floor. You know, okay. Okay. Uh, oh, interesting. Yep. You know, um, and it would definitely happen some, but the type of tip you would normally get down there might be like a dollar or two, or it might be, um, you know, a person won $52 and 20 cents and they'll tell you to keep the two dollars mm. or something yeah, like that. The breakage. Which, you yeah. Know, is, basically. Yeah. Um, now as you, as you start to go up and you know, you're in the sports bar or maybe you're in the, the Phoenix room or the Lexington room or something like that, uh, it would happen more. But, I mean, if you have a person that doesn't know better, then you're just not going to get a tip. That's all there is to it. But it's more about the connection that you have with your customers and, and making it fun for them all day long. And, you know, even if they're losing with you, you know what, that guy is a fun guy to talk to. You know, if you're the teller, part of the service is to make it fun. And if someone doesn't quite know how to read the raising form or they don't quite know what they're saying, then then demystify it. Don't make them feel stupid. Don't make them feel they, they don't belong, you know. Say, no, no, it's fine. Everybody starts out this way. You know, Keeneland is a big, 
tourism magnet. You know, these are people coming down from Michigan or Iowa, or they're they're coming up from from Tennessee because uh, you know it's the fall meet. There's a game happening a little bit later, mm-hmm. or something like that. Tennessee is not a good example. Georgia, they're coming up from Georgia. Why is Tennessee not a good example? <laughs> well, 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 we'll leave the state uh, state out of it. Yeah. Well, well no, 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 I was going to say it's not a good example because uh, they always play in late November. Okay. And, All right. uh, okay. And, and Keelan's long gone by then. But I've been there when there'll be some guy that's completely dressed, decked out in Georgia gear, but it's an afternoon game. And you know what? Well, this guy ain't going to make the game. And sometimes they're, they're happy with it. Like, yeah, well, I came up for to see the football game, but I'm, I'm fine right here. <laughs> you know, and I don't blame them. You know, it's a, it's a great time to, to bet the ponies, whether you're, you're doing it from home or the office or something like that. I, I threw a party in my backyard, uh, you know, at the end of, uh, September, they had, uh, a night racing at Churchill Downs. They call it Downs After mm, Dark. And yep. they, they do it a couple times, I think in, I think maybe they do it once in May, once in June, and then they do it again at the end of September. Well, the weather's getting cool; it's nice out. So I, uh, you know, at my house, I've got a projector and an outdoor screen, and so we set that up with a laptop, and uh, we put TVG on, and then we had you know drinks and lit a fire outside. Yeah, it was a great time. So it doesn't have to be a, a disconnect from the. The experience, if it's going to be on TV, it can still be a great time. But I would still highly recommend going to the track if you can. So what what you're saying about your experience as a mutuals clerk, though, Ross, is that, and this sounds really odd to me, but if you treat people well, they will keep coming back to you. That seems like (laughs) an odd formulation for a business. I don't get that. I don't... I'm going to have to think about that one some more, actually. Oh, no, exactly. <laughs> hey, Ross, I, I know you saw, obviously, you saw the best and worst of, and anyone that interacts with the public right, is going to see the best and worst of human behavior. But you had, I know, one of the, actually, it's like the saddest thing that can happen to a person happen at the windows. There's no there's no sadder thing that can happen. Um, and you were right there. Tell, tell, tell us about that. Okay. I had to do a little bit of research for this one. To remember the exact day. This was October 16th, 1998. And I'm working what I believe was window... I don't want to get cocky here. I want to say it was at window 1416, which was my was okay. my normal window down in Keeneland, face track side. It was pretty close to the winter circle. First race of the day. Uh, this, this young lady walks up. There are not very many people around. And I can see that she's with um, these two other women. One looked like her mother. The other one looked to be her grandmother. They seem very excited. And she puts some money on horse number five, Neilton Cat. Well, the race goes off. This thing wins. And the girl, she's you know probably about my age at the time. I was uh, 19, so she's probably you know, you know 22 or something like that. She comes bounding back up to the window. She's very happy. Uh, you know, I put the ticket in now it's, it was the first race of the day. I don't have that much okay. money. The oh, horse, sure. by yeah. the way, paid, uh, 1620 to win and 680 to place. So pretty good day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I have to fill out this little paper slip to give it to the money manager requesting another, you know, $500 or something. And as I'm doing that, she looks back at where her, her mother and grandmother were and she 
turns back to me and she says, my grandmother just collapsed. <clears throat> and as best I can figure, she was probably in shock because she didn't have any urgency in her voice. She just said it very matter of factly, which kind of threw me off. So I was, I looked at her and I said, oh yeah? And she goes, yeah. And we just kind of looked at each other for a minute. And she said, can you call somebody? I go, yeah, 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 of course. So I turned back around to the money manager and I said, hey, I need you to call paramedics. Uh, a woman just collapsed outside. So the girl there is, you know, is kind of waiting at the window. She keeps turning around to see if her grandmother's going to get back up. She's not getting up. She keeps looking back at me. The reason it's taken so long is because the money manager who was supposed to get the money for me to pay her, now he's calling the paramedics. Mm. So the money's not coming. More important. So yeah. this poor girl starts getting more and more anxious and frustrated, and understandably so, to the point that she's, you know, starts shaking and she's like, you know, hurry. You know, so she's yelling. Mm. So finally I get the money, uh, and I pay her, and you know, by then there are are people there with a gurney and you know they're doing CPR um they take her away and in fact she did pass away right there at the track uh which was freakish uh yeah one even say. more so uh i come to find out in the paper the next day this woman actually owned the horse Neilton cat you know i mean i i felt very bad i mean i, I remember seeing the granddaughter crying hysterically and i certainly felt bad for the family and i still do but the more that the years have gone by, so that it's been 20 years now since that happened, the more I think of how lucky this, this woman was, you know, because we've all seen our relatives that or know someone who's like, oh, you know, my you know, mom has cancer and, you know, it's a long end. It's drawn out. I watched both of my grandfathers, you know, they were in, yeah. you know, hospitals for months at a time before they finally went. And she went out a winner, right? So, yeah, that's. It's a better way to go, I guess, right? Yeah, we should all be so lucky. You know, one minute you're you're at the track, you're with your family, you're you're with your loved ones, you're winning, and the next minute's over. Yeah, there's there there are definitely worse ways to go. We we both know that. Hey, hey Russ, speaking of, um, and I hate to be on this topic of, of death, but uh, in the last year or so, you and I both know someone who passed away and I you know I would classify him as one of the all-around good guys um, just solid all the way around and uh, he was a longtime fixture at both Churchill and at Keeneland and I'm talking about of course uh, John Clayton now you you learned I think under John uh, John kind of took you under his under his wing at the Kentucky Derby but then you and I were both at uh, Keeneland one day when John was involved in a because I think John was basically kind of like the dispute resolution guy, and it was actually pretty interesting to watch what happened, what went on that day too, as well, right? Yes, yeah. John was uh, was a good friend of my dad's, and uh, you know they first worked together back in uh, back in the Red Mile years and years ago, and that's when their their friendship started. Mm -hmm. And to me, John was kind of like a uh, an extra uncle, basically, as. I got older and I started working at the uh, tracks. You know, of course, I would see him anyway when I would, used to just go to, to Keeneland just for the fun of it. Yeah, and, and by that point, he was working at the information desk, which I can't decide if it's a, if it's a cushy job or not. You know, because you definitely have to have to know what you're talking about. But you also kind of graduate up to that point. And Keeneland was kind of a different time back then because I remember they used to have a TV right behind them 
that uh, that was always showing Jerry Springer. <laughs> Why not get the patrons a little more riled up while they're at the track? Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I've been to Keeneland lately. I don't think they would allow a TV no. with Jerry Springer on right uh, <laughs> these days. I, th- I think I think the late '90s were a different time. But John was was a great guy. He was funny as hell. But being in the uh, in the information booth, that also meant that he had to solve problems. And, you know, as it always happens, uh, there'll be somebody that comes up and they say, hey, the clerk sold me the wrong ticket. You know, I've got a, a pick four that's live right now, but I wanted a different I want a different horse. And they start to uh, complain and make a scene about it. And I understand that, you know, that things happen, but. The better's responsibility is to always check right. your ticket right. before you walk away from that window. You have to read your ticket. You have to make sure it's what you asked for. If the race goes off and you bought the ticket, it's your problem. So John's trying his best to defuse the situation. He's like, this guy wants the, the clerk fired. And John goes, well, listen, there's no way of knowing who sold you this ticket, which was not true. There's a way of knowing who. <laughs> but, you know, he's, you know, you know, but John's not going to get somebody else in trouble. Just sure, no, guy no, he's a smart guy. Is, yeah. You know, it's being difficult. And, yeah, and I want to say it was either a pick four or maybe a pick six. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely a, a long multi-race. I remember it. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, and so there was nothing that John could do to convince him that, uh, you know, that this is an, an unfortunate situation, but there will not be a refund. And uh, so finally he just had to say, okay, listen, there's one more race. Let's watch the race and let's see how this ends, you know. And fortunately for the for John and for the track, the, the horse did not come in. It was not a winning ticket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I remember that day because all of us were ready to go except for John, you know, because John is, it, you know, he... He would have packed right. up a long time before, but he's still trying to to calm this guy down. But once the race ended, I mean, you know, you know, he still this guy still wanted to complain, but he had much less of a leg to stand on. You know, and all of us were at dinner that night. We, you know, I think everybody had a pretty good day. So we went out for sushi, as I recall. And uh, you know, John said, "Yeah, well, if that if that horse had come in, I would I would still be talking to him probably." <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, you know, it's uh, what I remember about that day, and, and you described it exactly the way it happened, right? Uh, but I, what I remember about that day was I really learned something that day just watching John about dispute resolution. Some might call it kind of deferring the problem, whatever, but, but the way I looked at it when he said to the guy, because we were all standing around, like you said, when he said to the guy, well, let's, let's watch the race and see what happens. I remember thinking to myself, what he's saying is, let's really see if we have a problem or not, because we might not. Uh, and, and I thought that was actually pretty brilliant to handle it that way. Um, you know, cause that guy was not going to be satisfied with whatever John said at that point. So, you know, I think John was very smart and say, well, you know, let, like I said, let's actually see if we have a problem and then we'll, we'll go from there. And, uh, uh, I just kind of filed that one away. I was like, that was, that was a pretty smart way of handling that, that thing. But like you said, he would have been talking to her for a long time afterwards if that, if the horse that the guy said he wanted hadn't come in. But as you said, look, everyone's responsible for looking at their own tickets before they walk away. You know, and certainly I've, you know, uh, I've gotten the wrong ticket before, but, you know, that's, that's my fault if I didn't catch it, you know. I mean, and 
And usually your clerk will be pretty good about saying, you know, check those and make sure those are right, especially if it's a bunch of different tickets. If you're, you know, betting for uh, the Derby and you're betting for the whole office or something like that, there's nothing wrong with uh, with standing at the window and checking your ticket. You know, you know no clerk is going to get mad at you about that. They should not, at least. I understand, the, you know, the person behind you is frustrated, but it's your right to be there and it's your right to, to make sure. Plus, the tickets are usually pretty good now because they usually – will have the horse's name printed right on the ticket, which was not always the case. Um, yes, you know, that is in, true. That's right. Yes, yeah, certainly in the 90s that was not the case, but I think it is now, which... So wait a second. Do they have buttons now with the horse's name yeah. on it? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, actually, yeah. <laughs> well, now that it's a touchscreen... They could, it, actually. I was just thinking the same thing. Does, they could, yeah. right? I mean, <laughs> you know, that... Yeah. So that was more a reference to back when you simply had a keyboard. And you know, and not mm-hmm. a touchscreen, mm-hmm. but uh, now it, it is true that you know, now it's a lot more of a you know a touchscreen, and you know there's yeah. a lot more information yeah. that the teller can find for you, you know, if you want the daily scratches or that kind of thing. They are actually they actually have computers in front of these guys now, basically, is what they've got, right? Exactly. Well, listen, Ross, uh, we really appreciate you sharing the tales from the dark side of the uh, teller's window with us. I'm sure I, all my listeners would join me in saying that we really do appreciate the job the teller's doing, I would remind them at this time of year that it's really important when you do have a big score, make sure to share it with your teller even just a little bit, for God's sakes, you know. Uh, share the wealth, right? Correct. Definitely appreciate it. All right. Well, we appreciate your time, Ross. Thanks very much, and, uh, you know, now you can move on and go ahead and produce this thing, too. All right? <laughs> so uh, you're not going to get paid an hourly wage for this, by the way. We'll just leave it at that, all right? <laughs> all right. <laughs> And so now we move on to our big score segment. This big score story comes to us appropriately at this time of season. While the principals have asked to remain anonymous, I can guarantee you the truthfulness of this particular story. There was a young couple many years back who, because of job transfers, moved to Lexington, Kentucky. And as many of us do who end up living in the Commonwealth, they ended up catching derby fever, whether it be because of the parties, the pageantry, just the general fantastic aura of the event. They were hooked. So when they moved back to Franklin, Massachusetts, they decided they wanted to bring a taste of the Derby to their friends and family. So 10 years ago, they started an annual Derby party. Such has its popularity grown over the years, the attendance this year swelled to 125 attendees. A big part of that popularity was a little action the couple added to make everything a little bit more interesting. They included as part of the day's festivities beyond the hack contest and the various spirits and appetizers, an auction-type pool for each horse in the race. Obviously, the greater the perceived chance, the higher the bid price required to claim ownership of that horse for the race. And to make it a little more interesting, it was decided that 10% of the winnings would be donated to the charity of the winner's choice. So with this year's attendance swelling to 125, you can imagine the bidding was fast and furious. Teams formed up to harness their collective bankroll power in pursuit of the desired steed. The pot for this year's race ultimately came out to $22,000. So for those of you who are math-challenged, when Justify splashed under the wire first in Louisville, not only did Team Baffert hit it big time, Team Justify in Franklin Mass did as well. And more importantly, one lucky charity ended up with a nice $2,200 donation. In this season of giving, I really can't think of a better big score story to share with you. If you don't already, next time you hit it big, think about sharing some of that good fortune with someone less fortunate than yourself. You'll feel better too. Remember, what goes around comes around. All right, so joining us for our guest handicapper segment is John McCarthy. John joined us on our Breeders' Cup podcast, and 
John is going to handicap an upcoming race for us this Saturday. John, I don't want to uh, put the heat on you too much, but our guest handicappers are uh, returning a 94% ROI. So uh, this and this being the final guest handicapper segment of the season, we really want to see what we can do to, to juice that number up. So uh, I guess I guess the heat is on, John. So there you go. I'm feeling the pressure, Bill. Feeling the pressure. Well, <laughs> Don't fold. And, and Don't so fold on us. What you're saying is we have to construct a way to get your ROI up over 100%. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal, John. So it's all on you. Okay. So is this a Hail Mary, a Doug Flutie uh, Hail Mary pass we're going to throw, or are we going to try to systematically build our way back? So this is the last chance. Is this the last play of the game? This is this this, this is the last play of the game. And, and let's you know, all, all respect to Doug Flutie, love the guy, but let's let's be Tom Brady here. Let's let's let's, let's, yeah, well, let's grab you. five I rings. <laughs> I, I like that. Hopefully they'll get a sixth one before he hangs it up. Well. Okay, so, Bill, you gave me the opportunity to uh, search from the buffet instead of giving me a race uh, to handicap. So I, uh, I thought that the card at Gulfstream tomorrow, Saturday, uh, December 15th, is a great card for uh, betters. I think it's a great card for handicappers to make some, take some opportunity to make some money. Not sure it's going to happen, but I, I looked at the races, and I was trying to see if there was anywhere in this card a single opportunity and i uh, noted that in the fifth race which is the harlan's holiday stakes race grade three hundred thousand dollar purse that audible is making uh his return to racing um actually second since the layoff uh after mm-hmm. a nice win in the Chelsea run uh breeders cup weekend down at churchill and i think this is a really really good horse i think when we've talked before this was your derby horse if i'm not mistaken yes he was yes he was Hate hate that hate seeing that photo there, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so he's. I think that he is. What's interesting about the fifth race of Gulfstream is it ends up being the fifth leg of a pick five that starts with the first. It's the fourth leg of a pick four, third leg of a pick three, second half of a double, first half of a start a starting double, first half uh, or first leg of a pick pick three. So if you like that race, it's a small field, six horses. Um, I actually think he it's a great spot for him. The weight is right. The distance is right. The opportunity is right. Pletcher's really nursed this New York bread along. I'd love to see him have a really nice uh, campaign as a four-year-old, and I hope that we get to see him together up at Saratoga next summer. So I'm looking at trying to construct uh, both uh, vertical and some horizontal opportunities with this race. I do think he's the horse by far the horse to beat. Um, if anyone can beat him, Pletcher's got another horse in the race, an older horse. Typically, I like to bet the older horses over the younger horses, but um, you know, I'm still trying to a little perplexed as to why Fletcher's got another horse racing against him, unless he wants to finish one two, and that's not an uncommon goal of Fletcher mm-hmm. to dominate a race. But I also like a horse in the race called Apostle, um, nine hundred thousand dollar Ocala sale horse. Um, looks like it's a really nice, uh, really nice colt, and looks like it also has some potential. So. In this race, if we just kind of stay in the vertical, I, I like the opportunity to maybe pound a number with the uh, with Apostle. So it would be the audible Apostle, straight exacta, okay. uh, would be the play if, if we're trying to. Now, if that's not enough to get us over 100%, how about if we try to construct a winning grip three or double ticket? Maybe give us more chances to get your... Uh, your, your stats up to where they need well, to be. Well, we're, you know, we're, we're yeah, <laughs> whatever it takes, John. But, you know, we, we're, we're calculating the ROI based on, on, on win place, you know, 
bets, just two dollar win place. But this is an interesting race, and you and I talked about this a little bit earlier before we started before I hit the record button. But you know, it's a six horse field, uh, and and you and I know both both know that sometimes small fields end up with with big numbers. Now, Audible is a deserving two to five morning line horse, right? But you know, I think you feel the same way I do that 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 an apostle, uh, the the other pleasure horse, Village King. I don't think they're going to be four and five to one either. I think they're going to be actually north of that because I I think Audible might end up being he he could end up being one to nine. Honestly, he's two for two at Gulfstream as well, right? So, um, and look, he's he's a great horse. Uh, I you know I was all over him in the Derby at seven to one, um, and uh, luckily I had a. How many people have a saver trifecta? But the Derby, you can you you can go for that type of thing, right? Um, but but these others that that, that are, are are contenders, I think, you know, they're going to be north of their morning line, and and you know, look, so they got to run the race. It's like you know Villanova playing Georgetown, right? If they played it on paper, Georgetown wins that in a walk. But you know, you, you got to play the game, and and who knows what's going to happen, right? No, no doubt, and I actually think that. He deserves, like you said, I think he deserves to be the favorite. And I think if he is as good as you and I both think he is, he should win this race, even if a horse like Apostle is as good as their handlers and owners want him to be. Um, I, but having said that, they still got to run the race. Now, I believe that he's deserving of being the favorite, and, and because of that, um, I think that the opportunity there, and, and believe me when I say I haven't hit a pick five, so I'm not going to be on your podcast and saying, well, let's go get the pick five and close <laughs> it out with this. But I think if you shorten it up a little bit and you look at the pick three going into the race, uh, maybe the double going into the race, maybe a double coming out of that race, and maybe a pick three coming out of that race, I think there's some really interesting opportunities there too. So, you know, if, if we we're going to look at, you know, just the straight play here, um, we won't get you up over it. You know, we've got a lot of money. I think Audible's going to yeah, get you up yeah, over the 100%. That's all right. We need to bet some, uh, we got to bet tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I think we, we're going to be able to do that with the, with the fictitious bankroll. But I do think that there's an opportunity going into the race. So the, the, you and I talked about this before. The third race on the card is a really exciting five for a long sprint. And you and I both know that sprint races are very love exciting. Love um, those. We've got yeah. a little bit of a, we have a little bit of a, 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 a a bias toward them because of you know the connections with spring to the sky but this is a really really nice race and i think there's some horses in the race that can win i i told you before if you put a gun to my head i'd, I'd tell you it's an all ticket in the third race but um there's a couple of horses in here that i think are worth looking at um you know some angles that i think are worth looking at i think that uh, you've got really you've got service who's got a horse in the race he's been winning at 32 percent this year You've got uh, Gilberto Zerpa, who's been winning, winning at 42% this year. He's put a horse in the race. You've got uh, Anthony Pecoraro, who actually, when he puts this jockey up, Miguel Vasquez, they're winning at 75%, um, and he's winning at uh, 47% when he does first-time blinkers. So some really nice opportunities in the race. Um, I don't think that's the way I'm going to play it. I think that I'm not going to play an all-ticket. I just think I'm going to enjoy that race and try to try to hit something in the vertical there. Where I think the opportunity to go into the fifth race is really this fourth race. Um, I like a horse called Duke of Miami with Tyler Gaffleone. Uh, jockey-trainer combo, uh, 46% uh, over the past two years. 
that that means they're what are they? They're they're six for thirteen winning races. Um, Is that any good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I I also think that. You've got, uh, you know, Luis Saez is on. Oh, what do you think? You're going into the race with a 12-5 claimer. Yeah, because I think Saez is in the race to win it. I think Jose Ortiz is in this race to win it. Um, but I think that Tyler Gaplion, um, his horse, has got a really good shot. So I think what I'm going to try to do in there is if I had a vertical, I would box the 5-6 and probably be 8. Or if I were going into the doubles, um, I might actually expand that to use Navarro and um, and in, in, in his horse, it's a new year as the favorite five to two. Those four horses seem like the ones that could go into the race if you're going to try to construct a pick three starting there. Um, I think you could single Audible, but if you're going to do a pick three, I think you could use Apostle and maybe mm-hmm. pull an upset if Audible doesn't fire. I don't see that happening. I think Audible is going to be really good. Yeah, and then going into the sixth race, Bill, mm-hmm. the race after the race, I um, I like Gaffleone again with another horse called Alyssa's Secret, the nine horse. Um, first time Lasix, putting the blinkers on. Uh, this horse has, you know, ran a respectable first race at the same company. Um, I like the fact that I don't even know who John Vincent is, but I do see that the jockey-trainer combo is pretty proficient at 40, 44% uh, yeah. in the last two years. So oh, yeah. I'm going to try to use that price, that 8-to-1 morning line. Maybe it'll climb up, maybe not and see if we can get some victory in there. There are the, the Ortiz boys both have horses in the race, too. They've got the four Beso and the five Glorious Mystery. But so, you know, there's some opportunities to go into the race with a double. There's some opportunities to come out of the race with a double. I would, if, if, that, fifth, if that fifth race is, is um, you know, if it's a single, yep. we, we, we have opportunities to really get some running pick threes going into it and out of it. Um, I see, no, a, I see a lot of money coming out of the McCarthy bankroll <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to spread it a little bit. Hopefully coming back, too, John. Hopefully coming back. <laughs> I, I, well, I hope so. So if you decide you're going to start a, a, a pick three in the fifth race, um, I think the seventh race is pretty interesting as well. You've got two Pletcher two-year-olds. Um, now, normally, Pletcher two-year-olds, at least in, in my experience, have been geared toward winning sprints up at Saratoga in August. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, here, you have, here you have two that he seems like he's taken care of, and um, he had one working out in Belmont, the, the nine-horse French Revolution, and he's got Johnny V up. You know, again, Pletcher-Johnny V is one of the best combinations in the history still, of the sport. So, still, yeah. Uh, certainly worth watching that one. And then, of course, you've got, uh, you've got Castellano on the other Pletcher horse with a two. So, and... You got service in the race, and you got you got the Ortiz, you got Ortiz riding, you got Luis Diaz on on Barboza, who's winning, you know, who's winning at thirty. I mean, this is really a good card if you like the bad horse. It is a good card. It is a good card for taking a shot. Yeah, my thought is go ahead, John. Is you you start with that fifth race, you go backwards, you go forwards, and you see if there's some horses you like to link that that race up with. But if if you just put it to me, I'd say. We got to bet a million dollars on Audible to get you up over the. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, let's let's give ourselves a shot here. First of all, I, I would say that uh, in that in that fourth race, I think I am required by law to bet the horse named Dunk, even if I don't like it, because you know it's the kind of horse that if he ran across the finish line for us, I'd be like, oh crap, why didn't I bet that horse? <laughs> <laughs> well, but then you're betting Sanchez is going to go two for 
2019 then. So uh, well, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good. That's, that's a good point. Although that Gold Sanchez combination is pretty good too. Um, <laughs> that's true. You know. Uh, so, let, John, John, let, let, let's let's pick one because uh, I, I and I appreciate the the, the 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 spread look here. Is it you know because uh, you and I talked earlier before we got on. I I like that uh, Delgado Gaffleone combination in the fourth in a race today, uh, Friday, in the sixth race at uh, Gulfstream today. I think it's the sixth also in that race. Um, give me let, – let, let's – I mean, should we just, you know, be safe and use Audible and say, you know, like if we end up at 94.1% as opposed to 94, that's fine, you know, <laughs> that's fine. We're still ahead of the game, right? What should we do there? Give us one. Well, I think that – I think that we could go with uh, Delgado and Gaffleon today and see if we, that gets us over, and then we can wake up tomorrow morning and figure out whether we, <laughs> how much more work we have to do. Uh, I, well, I like I like I like eight to one. I said this to you. I kidded you before. Eight, nine, ten to one. If you give me that, you let me come on your show four or five times. I think we'll show in our life. Um, I may go zero for three, but if I go one for four, we're ahead of the game. That's all you need to do. One for five. If I go one for five, we're ahead of the game. That's all you need to do. Right. So I, I, I'd like to take the shot. I like to take the shot with Duke of Miami um, in that fourth race, um, noting that I like the one horse, uh, Papa. I also like dunk for the namesake um <laughs> i think i think that you could make certainly make an argument as to what we know that Saez wants to win that he he's a oh, yeah. jockey title right? yep. so we know he wants to win that again that's why he might be riding a horse with a, with a 12-5 claim tag but i think the horse has a shot he's dropping down in class and i think that you know jose ortiz is riding a horse because he wants to win and no, he takes no races off but i i just think that the duke of miami is the horse to play. Um, I think I think he's got a really good shot in the race. I think this trainer is live right now. He's putting he's putting horses he where is. they can win. I think there's something to be said about that. And I think Gap Leon is riding really well right now. So um, I think of all of the colony of Florida jockeys that are the year-rounders there, I think he's the best of the lot. And so and and it's proven because you know Pletcher's been taking him. Uh, to places where he's, you know, putting horses in, and he's putting Gaffleone up as a first choice. I, I and I like I like that he's in this race, and I and I'd like to take a shot. You know, he, uh, we we don't know whether he'll go up eight to one or not, but I'd like to take a shot. Maybe t- put a double into the race, and then I, as I said to you before, I'd like to take the shot with Gaffleone um, in the race after the the fifth race, which is you know on this horse that I really like this Alyssa Secret. I just think that horse. I don't think that these are great two-year-old fillies. Obviously, they're 25 claimers. But, you know, I think that this horse has shown enough to let me, let me believe that, you know, these two together, Gaffleone and Vincent together, have shown enough to say, hey, first time Lasix, blinkers are on. All the changes. Uh, racing. Yep. Yeah, racing, yeah. you know, racing at a, at a, you know, racing back at, you know, at Gulfstream. Um, you yep. know, it's been working. You know, workout pattern looks really nice. Um yeah, I think that this could be the time where, you know, Gaffleone tries to establish himself as, you know, the leading rider there, which he is when those other when all the top six aren't there. So 
I'm a, I'm a big fan of these second-time starters who make a couple of changes. Uh, I, I think that's very indicative of the horse is well-meant, right? Okay, this horse, first Lasix, and, you know, the Alyssa Secret I'm talking about in the sixth. You can kind of argue that uh, it ran like he, uh, she needed it, right? Um, and I always look for that when it's first Lasix. Did they run like they needed it, or is this just something that they're they're doing? But it looks like she ran like, like she needed it because she, you know, was up a little bit on the pace early, and then on on a on a on a tiring surface was up a little bit on the pace early, and then then dropped back. and And of course, there's the jockey change from Carlos Montavo to Gaffleon. That's another change on top of Lasix and blinkers, right? So, um, right, right, yeah, yeah. And one other thing I'd look at too, Bill, in the in the post parade, I'd like to see if the fronts come off. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've read the front wraps very good. Yep. We don't we don't know that. It, you know, on, on a Friday morning at, at, at podcast time. But, you know, I think, and, and again, from a standpoint of, of the, the, the fan base uh, that are listening to the podcast. The millions, you mean. This, yeah, the millions you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. This fifth race is a great, this fifth race of Goldstream is a great race to watch because we may be, you know, Audible is what we want him to be. Yep. Um, it'd be, it might be an exciting 2019. Portends of good things to come. I'd love to see this horse. Like I said, it's a New York red. Um, there's a lot of good races. Hopefully, this horse has a lot of good races left in it. Um, I mean, look at the Florida Derby winner uh, coming back, third place finish in the Kentucky Derby. Ran a really nice race, had a trouble line in that, came back and won a beautiful race on Breeders' Cup weekend. I mean, I think Pletcher's probably handled this horse very, very well, and I think this horse is very well met, and I think this is potentially championship caliber racehorse. So it already is. It's already won a Grade One, right? So. Um, Love, love to see the future of the source, and I think for the fifth race in December uh, at Gulfstream, that's a nice. It's a nice way to end the the racing years to see what you know what we have to look forward to in 2019 in the in the older you know the handicap division. Yeah, which a division that could use some some help, right? So, uh, well, sure. the, I mean, Accelerated is obviously a good horse, and, but uh, it could use a little bit more uh, some fresh blood, and then this would uh, Audible being the kind of horse we think he could be. Uh, if he is the kind of horse we think he could be, that could really actually be a very exciting division next year. That's great, John. Absolutely. Hey, hey, John. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. You, you've been a great guest, and I really appreciate it. And I know you're gonna put us out on a winning note with uh, Duke of Miami. All the North Carolina fans won't won't want to play Duke of Miami, but uh, you know <laughs> that's good. That'll that'll just juice our price up a little bit more, right? Well, be able to launch us into a prosperous and, and wonderful uh, 2019 and beyond. So, well, Bill, thank you very much. Love the podcast. Love being a, a guest on your uh, show. And good luck. Continue good luck with the podcast development. And we'll do everything we can to help you. Thank you, John. Much appreciated. Listen, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and we will talk. Uh, we will talk more. <laughs> All right. Same to you, my friend. All right. Safe travels out west. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. So with that, we conclude our first season, our inaugural season of the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast. I want to just take a minute to thank all of you guests who joined me, whether it was for an interview or a big score story or as a guest handicapper. Um, your thoughtfulness, your participation, your humor, your contributions have all been greatly appreciated. And to the listeners... Uh, the millions of you out there, I want to thank you for supporting the podcast and uh, telling your friends, neighbors about it, uh, putting it on your Facebook page, your Twitter feed, your Instagram, et cetera, all those things that you've done. Uh, seriously, I've had a great time at this, and I'm looking forward to reengaging with Season 2, which we will kick off in late January. 
Uh, we want to make sure everybody enjoys the holidays with their friends and their family and has the happiest and healthiest of holidays. So thank you, and we will talk to you again next year.